0: Welcome to The CAP, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students, and parents so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you apply to a particular school being highlighted in a given episode, you should listen to all of them as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Don't forget to visit our website, www.collegeadmissionstalk.com, or the show notes of each episode to access the alphabetical list of all the colleges available with the related audio link to the right of each school. The alphabetical list provides you with on-demand access to all of the episodes so that you may listen whenever you wish. And if you want to receive links to episodes before they are released on the podcast, along with other related resources, please fill out the email opt-in form also available on our website and in the show notes of each episode. Lastly, please email me with any questions or comments at at gmail.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today Dr. Andy Borst, who's the Director of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of Illinois, Urbana, Champaign. Dr. Borst, thank you so much for being here today. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, John. Thank you so much for the invitation to come and join you.
0: It is our honor and pleasure. So Dr. Boris, let me ask you to give us a brief introduction about yourself. How long have you been in admissions and how did you end up in such a position?
1: Sure. So I have been at the University of Illinois for the last seven years. I have spent more time in the director's chair than I have really truly in in admissions. So I came (laughs) from the student affairs world. I've never been the admissions counselor road warrior. Prior to Illinois, I was at one of the regional institutions within the state of Illinois. So I've gotten to know the state very well and getting still learning the admissions field.
0: Well, terrific. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. So what is it about the University of Illinois that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend?
1: We have a lot of applications each year. I think most of the students that are considering Illinois are also considering other large competitive flagship institutions. We are oftentimes called the Silicon Prairie. Many of our students (laughs) are on the cutting edge of innovation. So YouTube, LED lights, PayPal were all created at the University of Illinois.
0: Wow, that's interesting to know. And I was wondering, you mentioned applications. Dr. Boss. how many applications do you review a year? And how do you determine how many students to accept, waitlist, and even deny when there are more deserving applicants than seats available?
1: One of the things that's unique about how admissions works at the University of Illinois is that we admit by major rather than just generally to the university. And so we have not just one admission standard, but 138 different admission standards. Some of our programs are highly competitive with admit rates that are about on average with many of the Ivy institutions or other highly rejective institutions, whereas other programs are more in the range of any student that would be on the cusp of college ready. And so there's the full gamut of What is the typical student applying to the university? So the programs that tend to be more competitive are usually our engineering and business programs, especially computer science being our most selective program. But it's not just those programs. We have a full slate of academic majors that draw lots of interest. Uh, More recently, we get about 70,000 applications each year. We're looking to admit uh, roughly around uh, just under half of those applications. So... While computer science has an admit rate close to 5 to 7%, on average, campus is roughly about 45% admit rate.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing that insight and that data. We really appreciate it. Another statistic that I read is that you have a retention rate of 93% which is astonishing as it's a testament to the great work that you do in admissions in terms of accepting the right students, but also the great work that the university does to keep students happy and on campus. And I also mention this because as students and their parents are preparing for the college admissions process, I think looking at retention rates is definitely something that could help you in the process. So thank you again for that information, Dr. Borst. And if possible, visiting campus is important for the students to get a feeling of the school and, of course, the surrounding area. So if a student is able to come to campus, what are the areas that they should visit and what are some of the questions they should be asking to help them determine whether the University of Illinois is the right fit for them or not?
1: We've changed up our visit structure quite a bit to put students in front uh, so you would never be in front of an admissions staff member who's going through all of the reasons of why you should come to the University of Illinois. You're hearing directly from students. Uh, It's our student staff that are doing the presentation. It's our student staff that are doing the Q&A panels. It's our student staff that are walking uh, students and families around campus to see the different areas. Most students uh, in feedback that we get tend to mention the quad as the main point to know if this is gonna be a fit for them. We're a large institution, so roughly about 50,000 total, 35,000 undergraduate students. And so when a student or prospective student sees our quad, they tend to get an idea of if this place is going to be too big for them, when in reality, there's lots of pockets that students can find a smaller community. So living learning communities. Different campuses by college. And so we're 11 different schools and colleges that represent the whole university. So there are ways to make a large campus feel small. But for most of the feedback that we get from students, it's going to be just walking around that quad to get a sense for if this can be a good fit or not.
0: Well, thank you so much for that overview, 11 schools, you mentioned the quad, which I have seen, and it is absolutely outstanding. But I also like how you mentioned that, yes, you are a large school, but there are a lot of small pockets that students can find once they're on your campus. So again, we appreciate that. And Dr. Boss, I was curious, what is the average profile of the current freshman class? And if a student falls a little lower, what are some of the things that they can do to enhance their overall application?
1: I know we're going to talk about test optional later, but I have been (laughs) surprised with how easy it has been for us to implement a test optional process. And so rather than giving statistics of a middle 50th percentile, what we're looking for is primarily in the academic record. We're looking at English. We're looking at math, science, social science, foreign languages, the five core academic areas. And we're wanting to see students take, I would say, a rigorous course sequence, maybe not the most rigorous course sequence, because that tends to be overemphasized. We're not necessarily needing to see the absolute, as many APs as possible, but at least some college preparation coursework. And we're wanting to see A's and B's. What I see students that are on the margins tend to leave out of their application. If there are lower grades, if there's any C's or D's on the transcripts, you need to give me an explanation for what happened in that semester. Oftentimes students, especially uh, in light of the global pandemic, we see differences in grades in the semesters that were spent, maybe in remote learning or just different class structure, and then a rebound in grades when classes kind of return back to more of in-person. But I need to understand what happened in those lower semester, lower performing semesters, so that I can understand the context. So grades would be the biggest thing that we lean on. But then second, the essay is huge for us. We asked two essay questions in addition to the Common App question. And it's kind of like, why this major? And what do you intend to do with this major? And those 150 word essays are really just short answer, but there We put a lot of emphasis into what is going to go into who we're going to admit and who we're not going to admit. I would say that's doubly so for our most competitive programs in engineering and business, computer science, is that, while well, I had a perfect test score, and I had perfect grades, and I took all the APs. For those programs, that's not enough. Like You need to give us something in your essay that's going to show us that you want something that is unique and that you're able to um, identify how... Coming to our campus is what's going to set you apart. Now, that's not a why us major. That's why you and why this program is going to be a good fit.
0: Well, thank you so much for that overview. And I really appreciate how you talked about the essay, but specifically the two supplemental questions that you ask. And it's really so that the students demonstrate their understanding, as you said, as to why their major, why your school. So I think it's very important to just remind students that the supplemental essays They're equally as important, perhaps even more important than the general essay. So don't take it for granted, students. Always put your best foot forward on every part of the application. I also appreciate that you talk about the review, looks at the five core academic areas. You're looking at rigor. But not necessarily all APs. You are looking at A's and B's. And I appreciate the insight in terms of if you did get a C or a D. Really, students, you have to explain that. Very important as part of this process. And also the fact that you didn't give me the mid-50% range when it comes to testing, as we all know. With tests being optional at most institutions, that mid-50% range is actually skewed. So I know a lot of times when students see that mid-range in terms of testing, they get scared, but it's important to remember that only students that are scoring the highest are submitting. So great insight. We really appreciate it. I was also curious, what percentage of your students are from out-of-state, and does the application process differ for in-state or out-of-state students in terms of your overall review?
1: So being the state flagship for the state of Illinois, our mission is to serve the state of Illinois. So about 70 to 75% of our students are Illinois residents. The other 25 to 30% are coming from outside of the state, but it's split pretty evenly between international students and domestic non-residents. So our international students, we are the largest or second largest. We go back and forth with Arizona State of the largest feeder for international students to public institutions in the country. Many of our students are coming from China, India, Korea, but then we've seen an increase in the number of countries. How we might be different from some of the other large competitive flagship institutions is that we are more uh, diverse in all of the assets of ways diverse is defined. So physical diversity by race, ethnicity, diversity by geography, globally, diversity by countries represented as well as states represented. Many of our students are coming from California, uh, New York, New Jersey, Florida, Georgia, and Texas would be the primary feeders for domestic non-residents.
0: Hey, podcast friends, are you or someone you know in need of some custom college gear? Prep Sportswear carries a wide variety of college fan gear and apparel, including t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, hats, and so much more. So whether you're getting ready to go to the game, hanging out on campus, organizing a college bed decorating party, or you're simply looking to build upon your college gear, Prep Sportswear has you covered. Check out our Prep Sportswear affiliate partnership link in the show notes for all the details. As an affiliate partner with Prep Sportswear, the podcast does receive a small commission if you make a purchase. But rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel that would benefit our listeners. And now, back to the show. Well, thank you for that information. I didn't know you were the larger server for international students, so that's terrific. And of course, you mentioned your diversity, which is also fantastic. Dr. Borst, do you use the student's high school GPA? as indicated on their transcript, or do you recalculate the GPA using your own calculations?
1: I think your listeners may be surprised to learn just how little (laughs) a high school GPA tells us. GPAs are great metrics within a high school. They are terrible metrics when comparing students across multiple high schools. So many times I have a, uh, usually it's a state legislature or um, a parent who says, my son or daughter has a 3.7 GPA And this is their test score. Tell me their likelihood of admissibility. And they've literally told me nothing about how likely they are to be admitted. Some schools play all sorts of, I would say, games with their GPAs. I've seen one student that had a 3.8 GPA, which you would assume was mostly A's and maybe a few B's. But when we look at the actual academic record, there were 14 C's and 2 D's on a 3.8 GPA. And it has to do with what are the weighted uh, classes, some schools have weighted electives, including honors physical education, honors driver's ed. I don't know what happens in honors driver's ed, but that <laughs> those type of games and I'm not talking about great inflation there. I'm talking about systems of scales that play into what goes into a GPA. So we do recalculate a GPA along those five core academic areas, English, math, science, social science, and foreign language. And that gives us a better indication of how students do on our campus. We also do not include the first year of grades. So the freshman year in that grade calculation or the senior year. So students are typically applying when those grades are in progress in the senior year, But we've also seen students that have terrible transitions into high school that maybe have D's and F's in their freshman year. Lots of reasons for those lower grades, but it's really the sophomore and junior year that are more predictive in how a student is going to perform once on our campus.
0: And I appreciate how you gave that insight in terms of how difficult it is to just look at a GPA. As you mentioned, there are systems of grading scales related to What courses high schools wait or don't wait? And of course, there are tens of thousands of high schools throughout the country. I appreciate you giving us that insight to share just how difficult it becomes, particularly if schools are waiting things like honors phys ed or honors driver's ed and other schools are not, right? Not to minimize what students do in phys ed or what they do in driver's ed, but if one school is waiting those classes and other schools are not, then there's an inequity in the process. So again, I really appreciate the insight, Dr. Boas. Thank you so much.
1: A little bit more on that topic that I want to emphasize is that an actual GPA calculation tells us very little about a student, whether even though it's recalculated or it's coming from the high school. So when you say, what is the GPA that I need, even with the recalculated GPA, tell me the recalculated GPA, that also doesn't give you an indication of how likely a student is to be admitted because we are looking at... I'm not necessarily concerned about what is your grade average. I'm concerned about your grade performance in specific classes that you're taking that are unique to your high school. So whether a high school changes their curriculum one year to the next, or a school changes from algebra, geometry, algebra two, to integrated math, integrated math one, two, and three, like we can account for those differences because there is that variation in curriculum and in grading skills across schools.
0: Well, we appreciate that. Again, thank you so much. And what are the different ways a student may apply to the University of Illinois? And is there a benefit to applying one way over the other?
1: So we have an early action period. So our first deadline is November 1st. And then our regular decision application deadline is usually January 5th. And we have gone back and forth. It's taken us more time because we do a thorough holistic review to be able to get decisions out. When we had about half our application volume, we were able to get decisions out before kind of the winter holidays, mid-December timeline. We've actually increased our seasonal staff. So we have about 70 full-time staff and 85 seasonal readers that help us to get through the volume. And even with the increase in staff, it takes us roughly about till the end of January. And then it's getting later and later, the more applications that we get to be able to get decisions back to students in a timely manner so that they can make their decisions before May 1. We do have a priority for students that are applying within the Early Action. It's not an exclusive priority, but the students that apply Early Action have a higher admit rate by roughly 10 to 20%. Now that's also skewed in that the better students also tend to apply earlier. So it's not that we are, are putting that much emphasis on the Early Action students, it's just Who applies when is different. Our international students tend to apply later. Our students that are coming from historically underrepresented backgrounds tend to apply in the regular profile um, or the regular decision timeline. But I wanted to make your listeners aware is that there is a difference in admit rate from the early action to the regular decision group.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that insight. Again, early action, November 1 is the date in terms of the deadline. You try to get it done by the end of January, if at all possible. And like you said, you get over 70,000 applications. But more importantly, it's interesting that you mentioned that 10 to 20 percent in early action applications, there's a a higher admit rate by 10 to 20 percent. I know that the University of Illinois, like you mentioned earlier, is in fact test optional. Can you share the percentage of students that apply and that are ultimately admitted that did not submit their test scores?
1: So it is remarkably similar, about 40 to 45% of our students apply without tests, about 40 to 45% of our students who are admitted apply without tests, and then about 40 to 45% of our students who enroll apply without test scores. And what is remarkable to me is the difference in students who have higher test scores tend to submit scores. Students who tend to have lower test scores tend to not submit scores. And what's been surprising to me is that if I were to able to see a student apply from a school that we know pretty well, we know their curriculum pretty well, if I'm able to see their grades and I'm able to see their courses, I was pretty close to predicting how they would have done on the test, whether they submitted test scores or not. Test scores have been helpful for us when a student is applying from a school that we're not familiar with, but it has been easier than I would have anticipated earlier on for us to be able to evaluate without a test score.
0: Well, we appreciate that. And where do you think the test optional trend will be, let's say, four years from now? In other words, will schools continue to offer it? This is another question that has come up, and I figured I'd ask you, Dr. Borst.
1: So let me start with the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign will be test optional indefinitely. So for residents, non-resident, and international students, we anticipate that we will be test optional indefinitely until our board tells us otherwise, so rather than a year-to-year extension. I do anticipate that many institutions will continue to be test optional. The exceptions to that may be institutions that have a heavy emphasis on STEM that may be more dependent on either needing to see differences in test scores or who may need to see greater emphasis on calculus and physics. But I do think the test optional Wave that happened in the pandemic is here to stay, but I think that there needs to be greater emphasis on what does test optional mean. Is it the school that decides if they're going to consider the scores? Is it the student that considers if the score is going to be considered or not? There just needs to be greater clarity on the higher ed side about when we say test optional, what do we mean, so that students are able to know and hopefully ease the anxiety of, do I send my score or not? One more thing about test scores that I wanted to mention: we talked about the middle 50th percent uh, before is. With about half 40 to half of 40% to half of our students not sending scores, that has really skewed our middle 50th percent. Our middle 50th percent has the bottom number has gone up by about 100 points. And so if you were to look at our middle 50th percentile five years ago compared to now, you would might think, "Wow, you've gotten more competitive. You've got you're admitting at a much higher rate." When really about half of those students just aren't represented in the data anymore the academic profile of the students is pretty similar to where we were at five years ago. So there there are some nuance when um, parents and students might be looking at that middle 50th percentile number.
0: Absolutely, and we appreciate you sharing that. And let's dig deeper in the application process. Of course, we did mention essays a little earlier, but Dr. Borst, what are some examples of college essays that left an impression on you? And what advice would you share with prospective students in terms of what to think about when preparing to write their essays?
1: I have had a lot of fun playing with chat GPT and seeing what <laughs> responses it's been able to, to give back to the prompts that we have. And I think that it's a good starting point. It helps students get an idea of the type of information that might go into it. The problem that I currently see with what's available in chat GPT or just essays in general is that it doesn't tell me much about the student. It's still pretty general. The essays that really stand out to me are the students that are succinct, that are able to use simple phrasing to get to the point. Clarity is much better than complexity, so that I can hear the student's voice coming through in that essay. Some of the, and AI will get better each year. So it's not to say that we're going to be able to continue to rely on the student's essays. But right now, I feel like I would encourage students to play around with the chat GPT And then to be able to build in and add in their voice about things where it's not just writing it with the assumption of what does the director of admissions at the University of Illinois want to hear, but what do I want to say as the applicant to the institution?
0: Well, that's tremendous advice, and I too have played with it. It's actually quite fascinating, but you're absolutely correct. It'll give you a general framework. It'll give you a general essay, a solid foundation, if you will, but the student still has to make it their own, right? Because we know that the application has multiple parts and each part has to improve on the next and build on the next so that you're not just repeating general information. So that essay, students, it's very important for it not to just repeat what an admissions representative could find on a transcript or an activity sheet. It has to be really personal, really special, something about yourself, your personality, your thought process, related to something that may have happened to you, and perhaps even how you see yourself in perhaps a major at the University of Illinois. So I appreciate you sharing that, Dr. Boris. And another piece of the application, of course, is the teacher's letter of recommendation. What are you looking for when reading a teacher's letter as opposed to a student's essay?
1: Teachers and students and school counselors are all navigating the admissions process, which has a lot of burden of the next step, the next step, the next step. And one of the things that I like about the University of Illinois is that we don't consider letters of recommendation. We don't consider uh, additional statements or interviews. We don't consider third-party advocacy statements. We don't consider letters of continued interest from students. And the reason is, is that I wanna know who the student is. I don't need to know who the student knows. So if I get a letter of recommendation from former President Barack Obama and another one from Michael Jordan, all very prominent names in Chicagoland area, (laughs) that might be about who that person knows, but it still doesn't tell me about who the student is. And we try to remove those part of the processes that might just advantage students that might be politically connected. I don't need to know that. I need to know who the student is. So if you send me a teacher letter of recommendation, no one will read it. It will go through the shredder. It will never reach somebody's (laughs) eyes who's going to actually make a difference in making a decision on your application.
0: I want to welcome back Sean Patel, who is the founder and CEO of Prep Expert. He's a Shark Tank entrepreneur making a deal with Mark Cuban back in 2016, and he's also a board-certified dermatologist who received a perfect score on his SAT. Sean, welcome back. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back, John. So, I just wanted to share with all your listeners, real quick, that we have an amazing partnership with the College Admissions Process Podcast, and we have a really special offer for all of your listeners. So, for any listener who wants to enroll their student into one of our Prep Expert SAT courses, ACT courses, or one-on-one tutoring programs, you can get thirty percent off just for being a listener of the College Admissions Process podcast. All you need to do is put in the promo code College Talk, one word, just College Talk, and that'll give you thirty percent off all Prep Expert SAT courses, ACT courses. Or one on one tutoring packages, make sure you use the link in the show notes of the College Admissions Process Podcast.
0: Thank you, Sean. We really appreciate it. To our listeners, as an affiliate partner with Prep Expert, I want to be transparent with you that for every purchase made using our coupon code, which is college talk. The College Admissions Process podcast will receive a small commission from Prep Expert. But rest assured that we only promote programs that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. So, whether you're preparing for the SAT, ACT, or need a one on one tutor, Prep Expert has the tools and expertise to help you. For more information, please see the Prep Expert affiliate partnership link in the show notes. And now let's get back to the show. Well, we appreciate that insight again, Dr. Boss. This is awesome. So let me ask you, once a student commits to a college, how important is it for them to withdraw from other colleges where they may have been accepted? And can you give us some insight into how difficult the process becomes for you in terms of determining how many students to accept or not from your own wait list when you don't have a final number on how many accepted students are actually attending?
1: So this is well-timed. We're doing this interview (laughs) in early to uh, mid-April, and right now is the window where most of our students are accepting their offer of admission to us and to other places. And so we are kind of in this waiting game to see what the final number is going to be once we get to May 1st. And there's usually a little bit of summer melt, which we bank into our projections We're trying to predict the life choices of 17 and 18 year olds, which you can imagine is an imperfect science and a terrible (laughs) art form, Um, but we get better at it each year. When students make their decision and decide where they want to go, it is very helpful to an admissions office to know that you're no longer interested because then that gives us a better idea if we're going to come up short of our goals and if we need to look at the wait list or if there's still the potential that we're going to be heavy. Now, all of that is from the admissions perspective, which is my bias. I'll admit that. But I will also encourage listeners to Google Rick Clark, burn the ships. This has been the best article that I've seen about students. Once they've made the decision of where they want to go, commit to that decision and find a way to be happy with that decision. I don't want to see students second guessing to say, well, I've, i i I'm going here, but I really, my dream school, if that was everything, was really this other place. Make the decision right about now, whatever is the best fit, whatever is going to be the best financial fit, and to be able to attend that institution without second guessing yourself into the fall semester. So burn the ships and commit (laughs) to going to that institution.
0: Well, that's terrific advice. Thank you so much. And can you explain what opportunities the University of Illinois offers students that may have had an IEP while in high school in terms of helping to make sure that they continue to be successful once they're on your campus?
1: So, the ADA was actually born at the University of Illinois Urbana Champaign. A lot of the policies that made it into the federal legislation were crafted on our campus. And I think that we have one of the best disability support services in the nation. Being in Um, two hours south of Chicago, we are fairly flat. And we're a great institution for students that have physical disabilities, as well as that may be uh, neurodivergent. And so each year we get better and better about servicing students that have IEPs, that are dealing with ADHD, um, that are dealing with anxiety and depression. And so as a large resource institution, we're getting better and better, we are really good at helping those students, but we're getting better and better about helping those students in ways that other institutions can.
0: Fantastic. Well, this has been a phenomenal conversation with a lot of great information for students and their parents. Unfortunately, it leads us to the last question, which is, what are your top three pieces of advice that you would provide students and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process?
1: Oh, I think this is a great question. (laughs) The information can be overwhelming, so just pick one place to start. The second piece of advice I would say is that any institution that you're going to apply to, before you fill out the application, fill out the net price calculator. By law, every institution has to have a net price calculator. And sometimes students and parents don't have the financial fit conversation until about April of the senior year, which is far too late. And so if an institution is going to be out of reach don't apply there. Um, I know a lot of parents will say, "Well, we'll find a way to make it work. That's one of the hardest conversations that's happening right now in April of the senior year of, I know you have your heart set on this institution, but it's just too much of a stretch or it's too much of a stretch from the other choice sets that's, that might be available. So one, pick a place to start because it can be overwhelming. Two, fill out the net price calculator early for an institution. And then three, I would just reiterate the point that I made earlier of commit. Once you have lots of time heading into that May 1 decision, not everybody works on the May 1. There are plenty of institutions that are still looking for students throughout the summer. But from a, a competitive institution perspective, once you've made the decision, commit to that that choice, that institution, dive headlong in first, and don't look at social media <laughs> and what your friends are are, what colleges your friends might be committing to or that might be disparaging a choice that you might have been very excited about in the past. I think that that can lead to some toxic conversations late in the cycle as you're wanting to say goodbye to your high school friends as you look forward to your future education.
0: Well, we really appreciate those pieces of insight. It's very important to talk about the finances early in the process. And thank you for mentioning the net price calculator. As you said, that is something that every institution has to have available to students and their parents. So we really appreciate that. And lastly, like you said, stay away from the social media because there is in fact a school for everyone, but not every school is for every student. So if your friend got accepted to a school, that's fantastic. Be happy for them. Maybe that school is not for you, but there is another school that certainly is. So travel your own course and you will find the right fit for yourself. So I want to thank you for this amazing conversation. And I really do hope to have you again soon. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to share that we've teamed up with Dormco to make your dorm decorating a lot easier. Why Dormco? They offer quality and durability, affordability, and a wide selection for bedding to storage solutions and everything in between for your dorm room. So if you or anyone you know is looking to decorate your dorm, see the affiliate partnership link in the show notes for Dormco, your one-stop for stylish, affordable, and quality dorm essentials. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast gets a commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. Thank you all and best wishes.